for December 12th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 180. Michelle Bachman, America is great fun time. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Later on in the podcast, it's an all New Year's Eve, all the time podcast, as we overthink the feel-good hit of the season. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I got <laughs> Other than that, 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 that uh, good night. <laughs> we won't be... Party people are gonna dance. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, we're not going to talk about that anymore. No. Uh, but some movie and some uh, TV stuff coming up. But first, in honor of the limited release opening of Tinker Tailor Soldier and Spy, a very special opening question for the panel. Panel, would you rather be a tinker, a tailor, a soldier, or a spy? And I add this one restriction. That of the four of us on the show tonight, you can't pick one that's already been picked. So the field is wide open for Mr. Peter Fenzel. <laughs> I'm going to snag Tinker. Tinker's all mine. Man. I'd love to. Yeah. What? You say damn? Is that what you said? I said, oh, man. I was going to go for that. Oh, man. Yeah, fair Sorry. enough. Continue. Well, not only not only was Tinker a class that you could play in Ultima Runes of Virtue, I believe, which is pretty awesome, and not only is it sort of a vague, offensive word used for nomads, I believe, certain nomadic peoples, right, in the, in Great Britain, and, and I particularly, is it particularly in Wales that the Tinkers are from? I'm not sure. Uh, but Tinkers are great because they do some of my favorite stuff, which is that they get to do the jobs of more serious engineers and scientists without any of the official formal training or certification. So a Tinker is basically like an engineer who has no uh, skills. Like well, it's skills, but has no sort of documented credentials, right? And also, they they can make toys, they could build bridges, they could do anything that they want to do because there's no regulation. Uh, so, tinker is an, is a risky job. It's an exciting job. It's mobile. You can move around. Uh, you have to suffer from prejudice, but you can also boost your stats by um, c- collecting gold. I don't even know. So, yeah, so saying, I'm going to pick. You're saying the tinker is to real engineer as overthinking it is to real scholarship. Yes, exactly. Because I've often, I've been saying more recently that one of my favorite things about the way that we approach pop culture is that it uh, puts a very low burden on me for evidence for the things that I say, <laughs> which is great because finding evidence is boring. And then you get into debates about the evidence, and that conversation isn't interesting at all. So, it's, uh, so I'd be bored by that sort of thing. Right. I'm the, sure that we can. Yeah. Though we but, are subjected on overthinking it to more rigorous peer review than uh, I'm sure a lot of journals because our commenters are so on point. And not well, afraid to bring out the well, actually. Yeah. And also, absolutely. just people actually read us as opposed to a lot of peer journals. <laughs> it's not peer, it shouldn't count as peer reviewed if none of your peers show up, right? Like, that's kind of a requirement. You should have to actually have to meet a threshold of, of popularity, I suppose. Or maybe pop, popularity, popularity contest, but it should at least be like not an abandoned barn with like wind whistling through it. It's like, hey, guys, I invented a new drug. Huh. Anybody disagree? And like silence. Okay, I'm seeing this peer review done. Great, awesome. Huh. I know that's not how quite how it works, but because I have no burden of evidence, I don't have to prove it. So there you go. Because I'm a tinker and I mess around with things. I twiddle with them. I fix watches. It's my business. So there. And business is booming. Excellent, uh, Mark. That leaves you tailor, <laughs> soldier, or spy to pick from. Mark Lee. Right. So as you heard, I was disappointed that. Pete chose Tinker because I wasn't going to choose that because that aptly describes how I approach technology. Uh, that is to say, as a tinker, not as a trained engineer in these things. You know, be it taking apart my 3D6 computer and like fiddling with dip switches or like what I do now with websites, like sort of, you know, the, just diving into the code and like just punching buttons and seeing what happens, not really knowing what I'm doing. Um, so, with that uh, choice not available, um, and with soldier and spy being particularly dangerous things that limit your uh, your life expectancy, I'm gonna have to go with tailor. Well, not just because it's uh, not as dangerous as being a soldier. It's because it's because you're Korean, isn't it? But that's also another good reason for it. But mostly because <laughs> my body proportions are such that uh, clothes that I buy off the rack, particularly dress shirts, I have to uh, I have to get them tailored. I have to get them modified. Uh, particularly the sleeves are typically too long. So if I were a tailor, I could do that for myself. And that would be pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty I, I mean, awesome. It used to be. I, I'm sure you could. You know, if you get, a good <laughs> I know I sold it. Like sounding really. 
If you get a good clientele, you could charge a lot of money because there aren't really tailors anymore. I know dry cleaners do sort of basic alterations, but the idea that a, a you know a suit is going to be totally customized to your every measurement uh, that doesn't really happen anymore, right? I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking about the Korean dry cleaner who's doing the alterations, which is close enough to being a tailor oh, for I the see. purpose of this discussion. The best, uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard that the best, um, I've been looking for a good tailor in Los Angeles, and I've heard the best ones are in Koreatown. <laughs> My people, living up to stereotypes. You can get custom tailoring on your suits and on your shirts and stuff. It's available. You can even get it over the internet if you send in your specific measurements. No feet, um, no feet only available in Koreatown. Oh, I apologize. I'm incorrect. It's only available in Koreatown. Think of, the, think <laughs> of all the taken. No, <laughs> all the poor Korean. No standard of evidence. <laughs> right. Well, we're stomping all over each other. Let's try to pass the focus, <laughs> people. Come on, everyone, wow. take a breath and reset this a little bit. I have Everybody's the con. I have the con. <laughs> Stand down. That was a direct order. Play that order. This is like uh, the, the first year of the Overthinking podcast when we were learning how to podcast together. Uh, John Parrish, it's down to Soldier and Spy. Uh, I'll take one, you take the other. What's it going to be? Well, well, well. So we find ourselves where whichever I pick, not only do I get my choice, but I get to force you with a particular choice Mm -hmm. as well. Yes. So, hmm, what would rather least want to be? Wait, why can't this Hmm. be a win-win situation? Why is the payoff structured (laughs) so that if you win, I lose? (laughs) <laughs> oh, they don't have to be structured that way. I just, I just vastly prefer it if they are. Got it. So, hmm, hmm. Now, based on what I know about you, all right, you are an actor, so I can imagine you wouldn't want to be a soldier, except that there are a lot of plum soldier roles for actors. So maybe you'd want to <laughs> gain that experience by becoming an actual soldier. <laughs> Except that if you be, if you became an actual soldier and you were successful, that might preclude you continuing in your acting career, especially because there's not a lot of uh, cross training in that. So, uh, I'm going to go with spy purely out of spite because spite sounds like spy. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, your your uh, counter espionage and uh, you know uh, your mind games were excellent and really uh, are suited to the spy field. I th- I think. I should hope so. I, I spent a long time staring at manila folders full of documents and adjusting my glasses and polishing them on a handkerchief that I pulled out of a tweed jacket in order to come to this conclusion. Right. And, and while, while sort of an om- ominous drone kind of plays on the soundtrack, right? Yes, that, entirely. I, I had to crank it up a little just to just to be extra distracting when I got to the really important points. Are you sure you guys haven't seen Tinkertown and Soldier Spy? Because you're describing it uh, with uncanny accuracy. <laughs> No, we've not seen it. We'll come back to that later. <laughs> that uh, that uh, means I am a soldier, and I am only too happy to serve my country. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, and uh, none of that uh, hua in this man's army. I don't know. I don't know the first Damn thing. Damn it! About, I don't know the first thing about being a soldier, obviously, which is... Uh, uh, <laughs> should be uh, apparent. It's I the follow so- orders, Matt. That's the first rule of being a soldier. Right. It's it's the Forrest Gump rule of being a soldier. What are you here to do, Private? I'm here to do whatever you tell me to, sir. Um, absolutely, and that's how uh, that's how I live my life. So I consulted the Oracle. <laughs> I consulted uh. the Oracle, and apparently, uh, Tinker is appar- was originally a tinsmith. So the first three letters, mm-hmm. it's not a Tinker. A Tinker is not one who tinks. A tinker is one who curs with tin, apparently. Oh, interesting. So there you go. And that, so it has nothing to do with like the SN atomic symbol for tin either, which has always uh, confounded me and, and I've felt is uh, totally inappropriate. I'm petitioning to have it changed. I, I just don't get it. I just don't understand. Thank goodness. I mean, I could look it up on Wikipedia, but I'm too angry. I just, I don't want to know. Is- I don't know why, I don't want to know why it. It's, yeah, is tea taken on the? Uh, it's probably it's it's one of those Latin ones, right? Uh, almost certainly, yeah. But I, as I said, I'm too angry to look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, fair enough. Is tea um, taken is on the on the periodic table? Is tea something else? If only we had Schechner. If only we had a biochemist with us. Uh, yeah, I think so. Isn't titanium? Is titanium tea or is it TI? Um, 
It's so you know it's TI. You know what? While you uh, while you pull up the periodic table on Wikipedia, I'm going to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, OverthinkingIt.com, the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. It's the holiday time, and uh, if you uh, have a hankering to support OverthinkingIt.com, I'd uh, encourage you to go to our homepage where you'll see our gift picks. Um, uh, right there on the homepage. When you use any of our Amazon links, we get the little Amazon affiliates kickback. Uh, it's a big thing for us every year, and so uh, since you're shopping anyway, why not? Uh, why not use our website as opposed to all the other websites who are doubtless asking you and you know publishing similar gift lists, uh, trying to cash in on their own you know four percent affiliate commission. Um, but uh, last year, someone bought a uh, a drum set. Like a very expensive <laughs> nice. drum set on, and that paid for at least a month of hosting on Overthink. <laughs> um, you know, if if that person would like to buy another drum set, or if someone would like to buy, you know, a Stradivarius violin or a very nice trombone with the the you know trigger, the what is that called, the F key or something like that, or um, that that terrible uh, that terrible. Uh, photo collection of Marilyn Monroe's last photo shoot with that essay by Norman Mailer accompanying it that's going for $1,000, literally. On on Amazon, Jeez. if someone wants to buy that. Or if you would like it, to if buy... If it's on Amazon, I don't know. If you would like to buy modern... It, yeah, sorry? Yeah, it's, it's a coffee table book of a bunch of photos of Marilyn Monroe that I think most people have seen already, and a couple of essays by Norman Mailer about Marilyn Monroe's you know last couple of years, and it's retailing for a thousand dollars because someone decided that was what what it was worth. Uh, and you know what? I'll bet they'll get it from someone anyway. So yeah, probably, uh, you know, I'd I'd rather make five dollars ten thousand times than a thousand dollars five times, but uh, that's okay. All right, I got it. The per- the perfect gift. I found this on the uh, uh, most expensive things uh, I could find an Amazon list on Amazon.com that a user put together. A Generac commercial series liquid-cooled standby generator <laughs> coming in at a solid 150 kilowatts for a mere $28,999.99. That's all? <laughs> well, considering, that mon- <laughs> considering that money will be useless after the apocalypse, I feel like that's a bargain. <laughs> I think you get a good generator that's going to go up in value. Right. The dollar is only going to collapse when the aliens come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the S hits when the S hits the fan. So uh, yes, if you buy any of these things or anything that you want for Christmas through uh, any of our links on Overthinking It, uh, we will get a little kickback. But I would like to put in a special plug for one um, one particular gift. I was lucky enough today, earlier today, we're recording this on Sunday the 11th, and I uh, went down to the Screen Actors Guild where they had a panel discussion with the cast of community and uh so i saw in person the cast of community who are super awesome and uh in in um uh, you know, a bunch of actory questions went out, kind of like how how they got the job, uh, how they got their SAG card, how uh, like worst audition stories. You know, um, the, the kind of the kind of uh, actory shop talk, um, or what passes, I guess, for actory shop talk uh, in a public Q and A. Um, uh, in a, in among that, someone had the good sense to stand up uh, in the audience and ask, you know, is there anything that we can do to ensure community comes back because it's kind of on indefinite hiatus. Uh, it's not on the mid-season schedule. And though, you know, though they say uh, they'll bring it back in March or April or something like that, um, you know, I, I don't know, signs aren't really looking good because though it has huge online and sort of DVR numbers, the, uh, the Nielsen rating is not great for community. And there isn't much that you can do, uh, except they said this. Uh, the actor said this. I suppose if a lot of people bought the DVDs um, certainly wouldn't be bad for the show and, you know, might convince Sony that it's profitable and, and worth it to uh, keep making it. So if you go into our um, if you go into our gift list on the homepage of overthinkingit.com, uh, you will see if you click into that article, you will see that one of our gift picks was the DVDs of uh, Community uh, season one. I'm not sure if season two is released. I think. I think it may not be. But uh, so you can buy. Oh, yes. Community season one. It's right on the homepage, actually. If you click through and buy that, you'll be doing two good deeds. Not only will you be helping out your buddies at overthinkingit.com, but you might be doing your part to ensure that community stays 
on the air. Uh, so thanks very much for doing that, and thanks for supporting us. Uh, on to the podcast. I got a great... Yeah. Well- Sorry? Yeah, the economics, the economics of this whole situation are kind of twisted in that in, in most, I guess, retail environments, it's not hard to continue or to help do your part to contribute to the continued existence of something you like. You just go out and buy it. Right. But because of the way because of the way TV is trafficked, you know, they have to be certain people watching so the advertisers can get Nielsen numbers, so the advertisers keep sponsoring the show and so on and so forth. It's just this really indirect process. I mean, I guess buying DVDs is is a direct way of influencing it, sort of, kind of, but it's not, I don't know, it's not quite the, it, I, I, buying an old version of the product in order to ensure the continued new version seems kind of backward. Right. Well, so it's, it's interesting because there are a bunch of people who, with, uh, who are getting paid here, right? One is the network who gets paid by the advertisers. Uh, and then there's the production company who I think is Sony in this case. And they get paid by the network. But then they also earn when you buy the, uh, when you buy the DVDs, right? So um, NBC is going to do what they're going to do. There's not, really, there's not really a ton that we can do to influence them. I guess like getting the numbers on Hulu up, if you just stream community continually on on uh, on Hulu, um, though I'm sure your your views don't count uh, for more than you know for more than one per episode. Um, I guess that would influence M- uh, NBC, but the the idea is that the show could have a life beyond NBC. It it happens sometimes that shows change networks, rarely and rarely successfully, but but um, it does happen. And uh, so if we if we make Sony. Right, you're you're paying the the studio, not the uh, not the network, when you buy the DVDs. But um, yeah, it's it's weird, right? Like, in order for anyone to make money on television, you have to watch it right when it right when it airs, because then presumably you're watching the commercials. Uh, DVR apparently doesn't count because they just expect everybody to um, uh, to skip the commercials. Uh, online's okay, but uh, it's. Uh, it's digital pennies for analog dollars and um, iTunes, I guess they also make money on things like iTunes, but uh, that is a small market as yet. So it's for a show with a really young audience like community who does not, you know, interrupt what they're doing for like appointment television. Hey guys, I gotta, like, I gotta, I gotta take off my shows on, you know, Uh, Matt needs his stories like a good soldier. The, um, the uh, you know what they need? They need some. They need some star of like eighties movies or sitcoms to solve really grisly sex crimes uh, in each episode. <laughs> that that's what's going to draw in that you know forty to sixty five audience that that's really crucial for for advertising dollars, right? And that's who they. Uh, I mean, that's who they're making TV shows. Number one network is uh, CBS, isn't it? With all the all the old people shows. Yeah, can, can Chevy, they already have Chevy Chase. Can he just become a detective or something? Could that work? <laughs> well, let, let me let me ask the other side of this because I think we talk a lot about well, what can we do for community? But to an extent, whether community finds an audience or not, it's not really something that, you, that we can actively control. Uh, think about something like Family Guy. Family Guy resonates across the population. I didn't get a sense that people were campaigning for Family Guy to get brought back. I mean, I guess they were, but I think mostly just people really jived on it and the sort of organic quality of the growth of family guy dvd sales kind of overwhelmed people's discerned campaign attitude i mean think about it briefly in terms of a political campaign you can go out there and you can try to convince everybody to vote for your candidate but at the end of the day what wins the election is if you know the demographics that are likely to vote for your candidate anyway and you get get out the vote campaigns going to those places Right. So to an extent, you can't really control what people think. Um, So it might not be a a great use of your time or energy to try to keep community going. And it might not even be in your control uh, in terms of the population to get community going, because maybe you can't control your subconscious and social reaction to this show. I mean, you really like it. That's great. The more interesting question is, if you're one of the people who is in charge of community, what do you do? 
How do you deal with this scenario? Because you're the person who has choices that are meaningful. Do you try to continue to invest time and energy in like this specific show? Do you take the things that worked from this show and try to rework them into another show that you feel like has a better chance commercially? Are you trying to succeed commercially? Do you want to like create a web series based on these characters? Is that really that important to you? Right? Like, um, uh, what is your management strategy? Are you going to try to go glee and do like a tour, like a community tour where you go to college campuses uh, and do stuff like that, right? I mean, I had an idea that I was pitching to Ryan Sheely uh, yesterday, and of course, we'll, we'll, we'll copyright this even though we can't, which is to do community theater, right? And like you take the community <laughs> show and you like go around and you do live shows. The pun itself is worth at least $15. Um, but like, but like, <laughs> and do they do, like, like, do, like, they do episodes of their show or do they do like Death of a Salesman starring Chevy Chase as the salesman? Yeah, exactly. That's that's all that it is. Yeah, exactly. It's the cast of community doing like doing uh um our town, right? Like which is I guess they could do an our town episode. It's probably right up their alley in terms of their high concept stuff from what I hear. Exactly. Even though I've never watched it. <laughs> but but uh I'm just saying like in things is tough all over. Like, yeah, oh no, community can't find revenue to get it going, but that's because not a lot of people really like it. I mean your friends like it, but like um even even for somebody like Little Wayne has yeah, to figure out how to do something other than solve that. records. I, mean, I I think it's uh I I think it's not quite that. I think it's that the the lot of people who do like it are not um don't count uh economically in the same way that an older audience counts because they consume media in a different way. That is to say community is a show right. that is that is sort of ill suited to its medium, right? So that uh, which is broadcast television. You know what I mean? It's yeah, but you can look at it the other way. I mean, those people have no one to blame for themselves from being pirates and watching things online rather than watching them on television, right? Like, they created their own lack of profitability as an audience. So I'm not going to cry a river for this uh, the audience to which I belong. But like, oh, no, you know what? Maybe it just isn't – maybe community – look at it the other way. Community might be an overinvestment of resources, right? Maybe you, you can't – maybe it's just not good business to make a show for these people who are so ungrateful that they don't, won't even watch an advertisement, right? Like, which includes me. I don't watch ad TV. <laughs> like, I watch community. I mean, I love I – love, Watching, I'll watch on DVD maybe someday, and it sounds like a good show. But it's like, um, I don't. It's almost like it's not like a sacred thing that that these people need to be given. A, you're not entitled to a network television show. It's expensive, right? Yeah. So like, maybe I've, you just I've, don't get one. You know, I've made I've made the same point myself. And I mean, there there are a lot of shows that will do better on cable, especially premium access cable, than on broadcast TV. And Community might very well be one of them. I mean, if you Consider a comparable show like Party Down, for instance, which was a series on Stars for a while. That was a, I mean, it was a pretty small series, very critically acclaimed, never had a huge audience, but because it was on Stars, which is a premium access network, it was able to find a niche and really build it without that pressure for advertiser dollars. Uh, it really made Adam McKay's career, as well as a couple other actors who were on the show, uh, actors and writers. So, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's community's fate. Maybe it <clears throat> maybe it finds a home on. Showtime or HBO or Stars or some other series and gets to do its little niche comedy and throw in some more swears and nudity and, and blood and uh, and has success that way. It's possible. Yeah. I have two other quick questions in this. One of them is, do you think Community would be more successful if it had a different name? Uh, I was talking about this with Ryan, too, because I feel like the name Community, if I see that in TV listings, I have no interest in watching it. I don't know what it's about. It doesn't give me any sort of sense of any sort of urgency or interestingness or, or mm. like a, a good story like if it were just called community college would it be a better would it be a more popular show there's right. other examples of this where we brought up the past and overthinking it are terriers and of course arrested development right where the, t- the titles right, don't right, right. tell you what's going on right 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 whereas two and a half men gives you a good yeah or 20 exactly, and, exactly. the, and the recurring joke of course is that cougar town no longer has anything to do with its original title yeah, really? There's no cougars in it anymore? Yeah, no, they cougars. killed them all? They're not a town in the suburbs? <laughs> yeah, cougar town. Yes, the, the American... Wow, Jeez, we, are guys. Just, we are That's just focused. sucking it tonight, right? terrible today. <laughs> Sorry. You're awesome. I can, I can talk less. I can I can always try talking less. No, please. I don't think it's on you. But yeah, the, the, Amer- the American cougar is uh, is long extinct. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That, that show oh, actually man. became... And I guess the... Oh. It became a pretty interesting show with, like, with, uh, you know, with good kind of quirky, subversive writing. Hey, Abed liked it. <laughs> awesome. So let me ask you another question. Um, Community has had a bunch of, it's had, what, two seasons now? Is it on its third season? Yeah, two and a half, yeah. What season is Community? Oh, is it, maybe two it's and a half. I mean, one and a half. 
Okay, so does there need does does this does community the television show benefit greatly from having more episodes in it? Right? Like, does it make the existing community episodes better if there's more of them? Are there going to like um, at what point? What would be the ideal length of the run of community? Is this just a situation where it's like I like it and I want more of it to exist? Because think about it in comparison to something like. I mean, even if we wanted to talk about like The Wire, I guess, but just talk about like uh, like Twif Twenty Four was canceled in the middle of a season, right? <laughs> Which would be absurd, <laughs> right? But think about it: like if, if Twenty Four was just suspended in the middle of the season and they didn't run the rest of it, the people who are out crying for more episodes of Twenty Four have a different sort of interest in there being more episodes than maybe people who have interest in more episodes of Community. Would it just be a situation of wanting more of the same thing, or do you think the show is at a place right now where interesting things are happening, cool things are going on with the characters, there's dynamism to it, and you? really love to see where it's going um, six or, seasons in a movie six seasons in a movie. <laughs> speaking of which, quick correction there have been two seasons of community completed so far and we're halfway through season three yeah sorry it was, okay. i was just about cool. to say that too i looked it up on uh, and and for those I mean, of you start- who don't and for those of you who don't follow it on twitter six seasons in a movie is a is an end joke i think it's a reference to the the uh, to the av club comment threads where I don't know. I, I think I think somehow that was the that, that's the target goal for what the ideal length of community would be. It's it's six seasons and a movie, which is a complete. When you think about it, a completely unrealistic goal for the majority of broadcast television. But you know, <laughs> dream big, AV Club. I don't know. Star Trek only ran for three seasons. So and, and nine it's movies. For itself. <laughs> yeah, but if so, they had made it, but what if they hadn't done what they did with the original Star Trek? What if they'd made three or four more seasons of Captain Kirk Star Trek? I think that would have been terrible. I think it would have been disgusting. <laughs> like, I think it's well, good they were, that they stopped. <laughs> they were clearly what? stretching for ideas by the time he visited Abraham Lincoln. So, yeah. <laughs> have they done that in Community? Have they had the? The episode of Community where they time travel to Earth, because that's usually a sign of running out of ideas. There are it's like, what would answer, be like to answer your question seriously, Pete. Uh, given that you know the the show is set at a community college and the show has held to a pretty good metric of you know one of you know two semesters per one season, I think four seasons at least would be a good natural base because then that gives the current cast you know time to go through whatever their undergraduate program is, get their degrees, graduate, and then and then after that, I think it would be kind of a stretch because what do you do with the cast? Do some of them come back on as adjunct professors? Is there, you know, community, the new generation? I think after that point, it might start to stretch a little. But I, I think a minimum of four seasons would be would be I think if if you gave Dan Harmon four seasons, he would have an interesting arc to bury in there. So I'd like to see it go at least that long. Guys, three words. Pop, pop, spinoff. <laughs> That's what I'm going to four seasons. The, pop pop. Uh, what do you mean pop pop? The yeah, that's not his name, but that's his that's his catchphrase. Like Pete, you got you got to watch this show. The I thought it is his name. Is kind of like overthinking it, it in the sense that like uh, they don't really do anything. They just make references to other things, and that's <laughs> that's how they like. It's an entire show that exists at some like semiotic level uh, as pointing, you know. Um, the, okay. Okay. So, like this, the pop hop characters. I think his name is Magnitude. Uh, he um, he exists it's in order- Magnitude. It's a portmanteau for it's a portmanteau for magnetic attitude. Right. <laughs> and okay he, all right i'm starting to follow it <laughs> and he has he exists in order to have a catchphrase and it's like and you know there's just a whole bunch of jokes about the catchphrase guy and you know sort of how useless he is but uh, how everyone loves him for his uh for his catchphrase it's a um i you know and it's a joke about sitcom writing also about how you know the the sort of lazy or the what the lowest common denominator thing to do is to kind of give everyone a predictable reaction reaction to things i happen to think that the show is like uh firing on all cylinders right now and that you know as long as this run lasts they should keep uh uh they should keep going like the first year was a little kind of settling in i thought but like this year, um, the the time travel episode for, or the alternate realities episode, I think, and the Christmas special. Pete, you can see the Christmas special on 
on Hulu. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was great. And also I, the, the Apocalypse I, Now, I, the Hearts of Darkness <laughs> uh, parody episode was, I, I mean, just incredible. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I absolutely love it. But I can, I can answer, actually, your first question about the... I can answer your first question about the title, uh, both specifically and generally. Specifically, Dan Harmon knew that the characters may eventually have to graduate. And in an interview, he said, I didn't call it community college because they can't stay in college for, you know, forever. Um, and so the idea is that right. the, world, the world of the show would widen gradually, you know, if they're lucky enough to have years, it widens over the course of, of years. And you've already seen that uh, a little bit this year with like going a little more into the characters, into the characters' lives and sort of off campus. They have a couple of, uh, or one I can think of permanent off campus set. But the other, the other answer has to do with a, um, uh, a New Yorker, New Yorker article that Belinky and I read a long time ago and uh, have talked about a bunch since then, um, which had to do with naming television shows and what, uh, what a name does for a television show in terms of defining the relationship to an audience. And you, you see that like a lot of stuff, especially a lot of stuff on this year's TV schedule, has uh, the most general uh, of names. And, you know, this is a... a uh, trend recently in a, in a lot of sort of titling of things, and I guess what the research shows is that um, that a name can only drive people away. You know that that is to say, no one else, mm. no one is going to watch a TV show because of what it's named, but it's it, people will not watch a TV show because it's of what it's named, and so you go for the the kind of blandest and most general thing you can. That's where you sort of cast your net as wide as you possibly can uh, at least so goes the so goes the theory supported by some you know social science or market research so maybe maybe we're missed uh praising the climate in the country maybe we should call it self-interest rather than community because maybe the word community is turning people away we're more um, <laughs> we're like we're worn out with the collective like the collective american project at this point i would rather stand up for themselves um okay right, fair so enough maybe, that makes maybe, sense maybe i guess we call it like michelle bachman america is great fun time or something yeah. I mean, then the question is, but uh, I'm still not crazy about the community word because I do think that it has a little more baggage than it sounds like it might have. Sure. Because this long Latin word. And, and, but again, it's all speculation. Uh, people have probably tested it. I mean, I did watch some of the Christmas episode, by which I meant I watched some of the animated GIFs that came out of the Christmas episode, or GIFs. <laughs> uh, Strong Bed said, I saw two nerds arguing about that one time. Uh, <laughs> GIFs or GIFs. Um, and you, you guys read the coverage of the, of the, uh, the um, community animated GIFs? It was a pretty interesting situation. Um, no, it, the showrunner... Yeah, the showrunner gave an interview, um, and let me let me see if I can find exactly where it is. But the showrunner and the showrunner, uh, for those of you who don't know, is is the the equivalent of a director for a television show, right? Who is also a producer and has like a, um, a a large role in terms of the conceptualization and execution of a television show. But he is uh, not it's really the if anyone what? But uh, yeah, but uh, but just to add to the confusion of this, um, the showrunner does not have the title director. There is another guy who has that who has that title, and it, it, it's different for for every episode. Whereas the showrunner runs the the show at a larger scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the showrunner for Community um, is Dan Harmon. I don't know. He's not the showrunner. He's the series creator. Um, so who's the showrunner? I forget who it was. Anyway, I'm having trouble. Rap- often, often those the jobs interview. are the, often those jobs are the same people, unless you're yeah. a you know very novice television show creator. It happens sometimes that people get lucky and like their first idea, you know, gets bought as a pilot and goes to series, but. Um, Right. Uh, but uh, absent that, uh, it's very likely that the the creator is going to be the quote unquote showrunner. Yeah, I, f- I found it. I found it, by the way. So uh, this was off of uh, New York Magazine's website, or uh, that's NY Mag, right? Yep. Um, where they interviewed him, and he said, uh, the community creator and showrunner says that most people don't regard the television as an appliance that's supposed to be spiritually satisfying, which is why the wonderful but ratings deficient community has trouble finding viewers. It's not because the audience is stupid, it's because it's giving them. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. I try many times this season to put Allison Brie in a situation wardrobe-wise that I know is going to end up as an animated GIF file, he says. So he actually, like, creates <laughs> – and you can see it. in like there are collections of these online, all of the Allison – and the big one from the, 
the, the, the song that she sings, apparently it was about not understanding Christmas because she's Jewish or something like that, or like wanting to understand Christmas. She puts on like a little Santa outfit. Um, to, to, give, to give it a little more context, it, I mean, it is notionally about not understanding Christmas because she's Jewish, but, and this is really part of the genius that is community, the entire episode was a pastiche slash parody of Glee. The, right throughout mixed, and mixed it was with really a playing pastiche, I forget which one we, mixed with a pastiche slash parody of invasion of the body snatchers where they're taken over one by yes. one <laughs> which was awesomely done by the way so uh but which i think there was one of the glee characters i rather you can jump in who did a, a cover of uh marilyn monroe's santa baby at one point was it was it Leigh michelle or one of the others yeah, or yeah, one of the cheerleaders or something okay uh, yeah, we're but not in any really case, so, into that show anymore Oh. Yeah, but, I talked uh, so, with Ryan about that. That was unfortunate. But anyway, go ahead. So at, at Allison Bree did a, a very sort of like cutesy Betty Boop slash Marilyn Monroe song about Christmas, but getting progressively dumber and dumber as the song goes on until the point where she's literally crawling on the floor speaking baby talk nonsense at the end. And uh, Joel McHale's character, who is is being quote unquote seduced by this saying, you're, you're getting kind of diminishing returns on the sexiness here, honey. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a hilarious bit. So uh, I, I do urge seriously, please, please watch this, this episode of community. If you want to, if you want to get what it's all about. And the, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great. Cause the show begin the, the song begins with like, teach me how to understand Christmas. Teach me how to open my box. And and things like this. <laughs> and um, when I when I saw Alan Allison Bree today, she said that they uh, they cut around the the visual gag they did, which was you know holding the Christmas present in front of her crotch, obviously. Um, but that right. uh, and they shot that, but if, uh, they cut around that. So you uh, you're on Jeff Winger at that. You're on Joel McHale at that moment. Uh, so you actually don't see the the visual gag, as though you needed to underline it. I mean, I think that may be like buttering the butter a little bit, but uh, you know. <laughs> But still, they they shot it. Um, yeah. Oh God. Uh, there's a uh, there's a rap Pete in the the Christmas episode about being a Jehovah's Witness who is uh, secretly um, into Christmas. Uh, well, who is who purports to be into Christmas in 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 order to take the institution down from inside. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow. That, okay. That I can't also... see. I can't see why this would not find its audience. I mean, it, sounds, it sounds great. But it, like... <laughs> see, it's a pastiche of two things simultaneously, <laughs> while at the same time, oh man, no, it's 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 cool. I, I could tell both why so many people love it just from the way you're talking about it, and why it gets like ha- less than half the viewership of an episode of Game of Thrones, which is like behind a paywall, right? <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> the, um, it is unapologetically weird. And, like, yeah. you know, if people are wondering, like, why are more people watching this? If you don't understand that it's unapologetically, unapologetically weird, then, well, you need to revisit your definition of unapologetically weird. Yeah. Um, but, Pete, thank you, for um, being the, thank you for being our interlocutor. Thank you for not having ever seen Community so that we could all, you know, get off on explaining <laughs> it to you like this. We're very grateful. For sure. sure. I mean, I'm often the other side of that, right? Or I often just ignore the whole thing and talk regardless of whether I have any knowledge or not, or whether you guys have any knowledge. You're like the intern character in an Aaron Sorkin show. <laughs> I was thinking that I was more like one of those dudes with weird names in the Plato's dialogues who just, like, has stuff explained to him. And, like, has, talks a couple times and says a couple things. It's like, no, you're an idiot. Of course it's this. And it's, like, a long discourse on all sorts of stuff. Well, that's cool. Well, maybe I should see the show then. Maybe I should Maybe I should go to the Overthinking It website and click on the Holiday Gift Guide so that I can buy the first, episode, first season of Community on DVD while also giving a small contribution to my favorite pop culture website. And the that, Navy. yeah, and that, ends the, and that ends the commercial 40 minutes into the episode. <laughs> Nice awesome. commercial. Awesome. Well done. That was great. <laughs> commercial. <laughs> we try. Yeah, I don't think oh, commercialism man. has ruined the uh, has ruined the podcast. We're we're trying to run a good sixty forty split commercial to content on the Overthinking It podcast. <laughs> well, I was finding when listening to other podcasts that they actually do more because I was horrified at the amount of times that you used to pimp our stuff on the website on the podcast, and I'd be like, Matt, why are you doing this? this is so boring. But listen to you other never podcasts. said anything. <laughs> you never said anything about it. You just <laughs> what you just. <laughs> no, I mean, but you no, never but emailed me about it. What did you just fester in secret and like you know build up resentment for what I was doing? 
I, we've we've not dated, but <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, I shouldn't say this. These things, um, it's mean. It's mean to, to everybody in the world, and to, well, to me mostly for being a jerk. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I just but other podcasts do do a lot of plugging, and I think it's just a matter of keeping the tempo up and keeping it interesting, and then you can plug a lot of stuff. Definitely. Um, did did you guys want to hear about the thing that I accidentally prepared for because I thought it was going to be the topic of tonight's? Oh podcast? yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So let's let's do a bit of backstory here. So we're, right. we're talking about the topics that we're gonna we're gonna cover on the podcast, and I'm like, hey guys, I'm gonna anybody else gonna see TTSS this weekend? And yes. Pete asked me, well, Pete, what is TTSS? I don't know what that I reply, is. The Taylor Swift show. Enter, enter, like, oh. enter, enter, enter. Parentheses. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Close parentheses. Right. Right. But of course, I don't see the second part after the enter, 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 because I haven't been conditioned by chain letters to scroll down to the end of my messages. <laughs> uh, and I just see the Taylor Swift show. And I was like, oh, like, what is that? Is that a movie? Um, and then and then John responded uh, to Matt Mark's original email um, saying that. Uh, well, John, do you remember what you said? Uh, yeah, I said it's not out in Boston yet because it's it's only a limited release, and I was very frustrated that I wouldn't get to see this awesome show, which I didn't need, feel the need to describe any further because it was obvious to everyone who read the email what it actually was. Or but so you also so- you also said that you were feeling the courage. So, <laughs> good play on words. Well played, sir. Well played. So, so, so because of this, I thought that there was some sort of limited edition release of a special Taylor Swift movie that came out this weekend, as opposed to Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Came out, and, so I read read up on how Taylor Swift just won the Billboard Woman of the Year, um, which is a prestigious award, uh, and and also just her great year in 2011. All the stuff that she's been doing in the music scene, in the music business, all the innovation, all the great stuff that she's been doing. There's really a great interview with her on Billboard where. They they talk about her um uh about her her approach to the year and how she's approached touring and and her role models and all this other stuff apparently uh she's really been thriving in this environment and i know everyone's really interested in hearing about taylor swift and what she's been up to during this tour that she's been doing uh and not in fact the tinker taylor soldier spy but but i will say <laughs> i will say a couple i will say a couple of things that she uh that she did say in the interview that I thought were interesting, and I want to get your guys' opinion on it. Because what Taylor Swift's been doing is she's been touring this year for an album that she published last year, right? Which is not her first album. She's like 21 now. She became a star when she was 16, and her tours have been very successful, and she's become very influential and successful in the music business. She sort of sits on this nexus between pop music and country music and hip-hop music. Uh, Hip-hop music because of the audiences that she plays to, which are these younger audiences that mostly listen to... like Like, if you listen to Taylor Swift, you're likely to listen to Nicki Minaj if you're a young girl, right? Even though Nicki, Nicki, Nicki oh, I'm sorry, uh-huh. Nicki Minaj and Swift don't play the same genre of music, there's an intersection in their fans, which means that Taylor Swift is a nexus for people to be introduced to the country genre and the country format and the hip-hop format, you know, and all the other formats that people listen to. So when she does a show in a particular city, um, it's become because she mentioned idly that she would love to do a sh- uh, listen to Nicki Minaj perform live or or do a song with her. Nicki Minaj did a, a show with Taylor Swift, and then every city in these well, a lot of the cities Nicki, uh, Taylor Swift's been going to, the local big stars from that city have been playing at her show, like as a surprise or as like a free bonus. So she'll go to Atlanta, and like Usher will show. Go to Nashville, and it'll be like a country musician or the singer of Paramore will show up, right? And it'll be like all across the board. She'll be in New York, and it'll be Selena Gomez will show up, and they'll do a, a song together. And this is all these different genres. Um, so go to Detroit, to... and Eminem will show up. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And then they'll give each other a big hug. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I wanted I wanted to read two things that she said that I thought were really surprising to me. Um, and and the first one is uh, the question that they asked her was, are there people you look to on the business side of what you do? Which is a reasonable question because you're thinking of like a 21-year-old songstress, singer-songwriter. Uh, it, a lot of these uh, musicians are a little bit conflicted about the, the feel about the business side of things. So they look for mentorships. And what Taylor Swift said was the business aspect – is one of the most important things about having a music career because every choice you make in a management meeting affects your life a year and a half from now. I know exactly where I'm going to be next year at this time, and that's because I'm sitting there in those management meetings every single week and scheduling everything and approving things or not approving things based on what I feel is right for my career at this point. Also, Uh, unlike other artists, she's not totally coked up in those management meetings. 
presumably. Well, no, she's she's actually actively participating yeah, yeah, yeah. as a Literally. stakeholder executive in her own music business as a 21-year-old woman, which is amazing. And that's really what she's winning, I think, this award for. But she then goes on to praise Kenny Chesney. as some. Um, she says, uh, from a business standpoint, it looks like to Kenny Chesney, uh, you know you're going to get what you're going to get from his show. You know it's going to be an all-day party. He loves to think about things he's passionate about, but he's also made a brand that doesn't seem like it's a brand. So she seems really savvy about the way that these musicians are marketing themselves. And then the other thing that she said um, and, and then I'll, I'll open it up to comments about this in general. Um, and they asked her if there's any, um, they asked her, where is it? Yes. They asked her that, um, uh, about Dolly Parton, because Dolly Parton apparently has a management strategy where she maps out her music career in seven-year plans, and then she works under seven-year plans to execute them. And they wanted to ask her, well, what are you thinking about 2018? And she says that she loves what Dolly Parton plans out, that Dolly Parton plans out her life and those plans, and she thinks that's brilliant. There's so much about Dolly Parton that every female artist should look to, whether it's reading her quotes or reading her interviews or going to one of her live shows. She's been such an amazing example to every female songwriter out there, <laughs> which I just thought was amazing. That like, here's this 21-year-old girl who's like singing these songs about falling in love and all this stuff. And it's like, well, who's your role model? Oh, it's Dolly Parton, like from a business <laughs> perspective. You know, like, and Taylor Swift doesn't look like Dolly Parton. Like, you know, and she's, she's not getting any surgery anytime soon, thank God, one would hope. Um, so it's just like, that, that struck me as this is the music industry that is actually happening as opposed to the music industry that a lot of us are imagining is that like we have this, this, these are the, the actual relationships and modelings that are going on and the way that people are, are planning the things that they're doing. Um, I don't know. Did this provoke any sort of reaction from any of you guys? Cause I thought this stuff was really fascinating. I'm excited for Taylor Wood, Taylor Swift's theme park, that she's going to open up uh, <laughs> falling in the footsteps of Dolly Parton's Dollywood. That's, <laughs> Taylor- what's, that's what's mostly concerning me at this time right now. When we were talking about Taylor Soldier Spy, I was thinking, well, I could be Taylor Swift, but I don't actually want to be Taylor Swift. I just admire her business sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it's true. That was low-hanging fruit. None of us actually picked it. No, well, you can't because she's too young. No, that's not what I mean. Um, I'm being really – don't be so exploitative. Um, I, wish, I wish we had a woman on the podcast right now because I would love to see if a woman who is not involved specifically in the countryside of the music business would generally see Dolly Parton as an amazing person that all female artists should look to as like a role model, right? Um, because the, I think the cultural argument is that the character that Dolly Parton portrays is infantilist, much like Alison Brie is making fun of in that episode of Community. That Dolly Parton pretends to be bubbly and stupid, and she's got the big boobs and all this other stuff, and that's not something that she's not a positive role model for women. But of course, she was in Steel Magnolias, right? And I mean, she does play a lot of serious songs. You know, she she's written a lot of songs that are hugely popular, sung by other artists. She, Dolly Parton, has written the most popular song of all time. Um, and I will always love you. I will always love you from the Bodyguard soundtrack, you know, as performed by Whitney Houston. Like, like Dolly Parton has done this stuff that you don't really think of Dolly Parton as doing. So the public image of Dolly Parton, like the character that Dolly Parton plays in our like hyper reality of celebrity, is not somebody I would think as a woman I would want to look up to. I'd love to t- ask a woman if you're a female and you're not listening to the podcast right now. What do you think about Dolly Parton? Like, let us know because I want to know what this is. And I can see why, as a country musician who's involved in the business and who also is involved in the broader entertainment business, so you might. Taylor Swift doing more movies maybe like is that happening in the future is she going to be spreading out to other media I think she has to if she wants to keep growing her brand I would think because you can't she's her songs are, are aging rapidly for her she can't keep singing like the the I'm in the bleachers and wearing the sneakers thing for her whole life like she's got to evolve and she's got to move on to the next stuff like Justin Timberlake is doing and and all that other stuff um are you guys big Taylor Swift fans no, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, on, like, I'm on record on this very podcast talking about how I like the idea of Taylor Swift. That is to say, a young woman who writes her own songs and sort of performs them with you know, <laughs> minimal interference from a, from a kind of marketing machine. Though, I mean, honestly, I guess she's kind of become, uh, become her own marketing machine. But, uh, you know, she's, the, the idea of her anyway is that, you know, she is this person. She's an artist. She has something to say and that she's, she's singing about what she, you know, she's making the music that she wants to make rather than being sort of told what to sing. But I, I really can't stand a lot of the Taylor swift music that i you know that i hear because it's uh it's it doesn't have a lot of the things that i look for in in music which is like a beat you can dance to like a thumping (laughs) bass beat which is which is like uh melody 
Um, oh. And, and like, like, <laughs> some level of sophistication, uh, you know, at some level. So it's like, oh, man, where's the drop? This is so weak. Like, I'm ready to roll here. She wears high heels. No, it doesn't really work. <laughs> Dubstep Swift. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> um, so, yeah. No, it's uh, – it's, uh, you got you to gotta hope that that music style evolves, that she's, she's got to be making different kinds of music because she makes music for, like, 14- and 12-year-old girls. Like, that's, that's the, the, who the songs are for, right? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, and, I think – I guess Justin Timberlake is a really good career to look at and emulate. I mean, I don't know if it was an accident that you, that you uh, brought him up. Oh, it was – Nope, yeah, but he's yeah. I mean, he's he made the transition from being a sort of uh being a sort of product to kind of taking control of his own commodification, I guess, right? Like that's that's the only way to to look at it because it's I'm I'm really struck by what you say about talking about the music industry that is actually happening versus the one that we all imagine or might wish were yeah. happening. And 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 in my case, I mean, I'll sort of put my cards on the table. My favorite period of the music industry was the like the 1970s singer-songwriter period, you know, and I still like that. And I like the kind of brief I still like those songs like Jackson Brown, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, you know, like I like I like that music and I also like uh, the kind of resurgence of it that happened in the 90s uh with a lot of the kind of singer-songwriters that I, you know, that I listened to uh yeah. when I was Come to my window. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big uh, Melissa Etheridge fan, right? Uh, it, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't huge into <laughs> Melissa Etheridge. I was more yeah. like. Uh, I was more like Tori well, Amos, Ani DeFranco, yeah, Jewel. Yeah. Um, yep. You know those the, the kind of that that uh, the, that flavor of um, of singer songwriter yeah. music. I remember that about you. I remember you really liking Tori Amos, and and I have a I have an irrational prejudice against Tori Amos that is just not justified at all, which is based on hearing her cover of "Smells Like Teen Spirit" as like a seventeen year old and being so offended by it that I like resolved. <laughs> you were never. like, that is not what this song is about at <laughs> <Exactly>. all. <laughs> like, no. No, and I was like, I, I literally was like, I am never going to listen to Tori Amos again. <laughs> and Fair like, enough. I think to this point, I've pretty much been, been kept up with that. I mean, someone was probably going to sneak it into my drink at some point. Like, I'm going <laughs> to, oh, what's this, Tori Amos? Dang and blast! Like, I've lost my opportunity to never listen to Tori Amos again. Um, but yeah, man, I love that oeuvre, right? That whole milieu. As it were, it's not Uvra. It's Uvra if it's one person. It's like it would be like uh, Sarah McLaughlin's production Uvra as like the the sort of um, Sarah McLaughlin was another one where I, I owned a lot of CDs back in the day of Sarah yeah. McLaughlin. No, definitely, definitely. I think I recommend it. I recommend uh, female singer songwriter karaoke as a great bachelor party activity because I think <laughs> we did that for one of the bachelor parties for one of our friends, I believe, and it was a great time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, so yeah, so I guess you don't have to like a child came out to wander. (laughs) Harvey caught a dragonfly (laughs) inside a jar. They're small, I know, but they're not yours. Why do you keep inviting Harvey Firestein out to these parties? He just, he just doesn't matter. Sorry, do you want me to leave? I'll go. I just I was hanging with my soldier friend. The military takes us now, you hear? <laughs> oh lordy lord. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, but it is interesting cuz cuz I think the one of the biggest divisions, well it's funny cuz Matt, if you like that kind of music, all you have to do is like hop on over to Spotify or Pandora and you can get it specially tailored just for you, the subgenre that you want to listen to, right? It's like it's on point. But if you think about the people who are working in the music business and are trying to to create economies of scale for large-scale music uh, and for that kind of large music brands. You're trying to build a large music brand, which means you have to consider the revenue streams coming not just from recording but from all the other activities, Uh, especially because you're seeing producers and artists uh, have come together so much, and the artists need to be in charge of their personal brands or else they just don't have anything. They just have the music, and that's not going to make them any money. So if you really want to have a business, you have to be in charge of your personal brand as well as being a musician. And so when they build that, so then it's like, okay, we have this perception that there's these different genres, and they exist on different radio stations, and you listen to the ones that you want to, but in the reality, you know, you might have a conference call between Birdman and Taylor Swift, right? Like, that might happen, and they might be both the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, like, and they, they might be like, okay, well, like, can you appear on this track? Well, I don't know if that's up. How much? How much is the scale? Do I get to approve the lyrics? Like, of course I do. Like, let's talk about this. Ah, this isn't really something that I want to do. Um, I don't know. One of the stories that I love about the contemporary music business 
is the story of Kesha and how she got on that Flowrider track, right? Like she's on the Flowrider track Right Round, which is about the it's about it's about oral sex. I'm just going to come out and say it. It's about <laughs> stripping and oral sex. It's about like a woman going around a pole and it's also about men and women performing oral sex on each other. And Kesha sings the backup track on it, which is like as you spin me right around right. And she sang it before she was famous and uh, she decided to go uncredited on it. She decided, I don't want to be credited on this song. I don't want to have anything to do with it because it would be terrible for my, my personal brand for me to be seen in this like very grimy club hit. As, and, and, and if you watch the video, the woman uh, is, is black, who they show when she's singing the song. She's like black and she's in like a little cocktail dress and she's like gyrating, right? Um, it's like that's the image of the person that wants to be associated with the singing. And so people hear the song and they're like, oh, she kind of sounds like Katy Perry. We don't really know who this person is. And the producers hear it and they love it. And they're the ones who go to Kesha and are like, you got a really cool voice. You know, now let's make an album, right? But she, was, she gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, because that, that song was ridiculously popular, and that album went, was one of Flo Rida's bigger commercial successes. Well, uh, yeah, is, how, much would she really be, how much would she really be getting in residuals from that? I mean, like, maybe, maybe hundreds of thousands, or, or maybe ten... Well, I don't know. So what, what are the, you know... Just because you don't put your name on Recording artists. Yeah, it's a, different, yeah. it's a different thing in that business. The, the real money is in publishing, in recording artists. Right. So if you have a songwriting credit, that's the big thing, because then when the song gets put in a movie or something like that, you really earn. Right, right, right. I don't know. I mean, maybe I heard it wrong. I just remember reading an article that said that she did because she accepted sort of a lower level of contribution for the song than sure. she might otherwise, except she ended up making less money from it than she, um, than she could have. Although I think she, she actually gets m- more money from its international sales and licensing than from its domestic because of the way that the contract worked. Which is, and it's like, this is a girl who is 21 and has a reputation for brushing her teeth with whiskey. Like, and this is the well, kind now, of decision. I mean, now, she, now she does. I, the irony, right, yeah. is that she turned around and made a record that was maybe 50 times as raunchy as, uh, uh, right, as... But the, different, but very different kind of raunchy. Uh, like, her kind of raunchy, like, party girl raunchy is very different from stripper raunchy in terms of sure, what your personal is. Like, people who want to emulate you. And also, honestly, yeah. it's a racial thing. It's totally a racial thing because she made an album for white people. Right, like, and I mean, I, I don't mean to be diminishing about it, but like, Flo Rida is like not a main. He's not. He's a. He's doing club music that's like pretty far out there on this on the on the continuum, right? Like, whereas Kesha is much more in the wheelhouse of the kind of music that parents expect their children to be listening to. It's a brand. Yeah, music, music product branding is racist, and I, but anyway, I won't get into that right now. Yeah, um, and additionally, just just stylistically, there's a difference between the sort of raunchiness that you know Kesha exhibits in like TikTok or who we are, who we are, which is sort of a raunch a raunchiness, if you will, that she owns. She's she's yeah. getting out there. It's her track, and she's saying, you know, yes, this is who I am. Deal with it. Whereas opposed to you know when it, it when it's a backing track for a flow ride, a you know remake of uh, Dead or Alive's uh, Spin Me Around. Uh, she's she's sort of backing up his sexiness. She's making herself metaphorically uh, sexually available for the male artist, saying like, "Yeah, you do this to me, you really turn me on, etc." Which is more which is more of a supplicant role than as opposed to the very sort of dominant role that she takes on her own tracks. Mm. Some some cool uh, some cool uh, little tidbits about Right Round. It was the record breaking best selling in its first week. Um, digital track. It, it, it broke the record for digital tracks for tracks sold online in its first week of a release, and it's licensed as the credit song to the movie The Hangover. So those are like big. The latter one is probably the one that, as a uh, as a music person, you should be excited about the money that that represents, right? Because every time that movie plays somewhere, they get a small part of it. Probably when the song plays, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, which is kind of a big deal. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's all interesting. I think that it's interesting. I think that when you're talking about women in culture, it's interesting that you see these women that have these these roles as their characters uh, that are kind of diminishing. You know, Taylor Swift kind of risks being this eternal child. Kesha risks a variety of venereal diseases if her public persona matches up what she is in real life, which maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, are still making shrewd business decisions and are mindful of the cross cross media brand implications of the things that they do, um, and like that's really what the face of modern business feminism looks like, right? It's like going to those meetings and making those decisions. Sure, and I mean um, I think that has to do with uh, I think that has to do with kind of the fate of the artist in an era of digital reproduction, right? That is to say, yeah. 
um, if if your job is to make music, well, then you're replaceable because a lot of people can make music. But if your job is to be you, you know what I mean? If your yep. job is to be your personality, then uh, no one else no one else can do that. And you are sort of forever indispensable as long as your personality remains in favor. Yeah, it gets into this. It gets into the distinction between different types of different types of ways to generate wealth. And the classic, you know, Adam Smith. Uh, I think it, it, going back as far as Adam Smith, you know, they're they're considered three real ways to generate wealth: uh, labor, capital, and uh, rents. Labor being, you know, going in and doing work and getting wages. That's the traditional, I guess, recording model. Capital being things you, uh, capital being property you own and put to use in investment. And rents being money that you're just, uh, money that you're paid just by virtue of, of owning some. Actually, I probably, I probably group two of those together that don't need to be because capital and rents probably overlap a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I have a degree in economics, people. Anyway, so it's the distinction between the money Michael Jordan makes for being a good basketball player and the money Michael Jordan makes for being Michael Jordan. So right. once, you, once you reach that point where you're able to collect rents on yourself, that's a whole other level of money-making potential. And I think that's, that's, what, that's what these people are aiming for with, you know, with brand awareness because regardless of your, of your declining quality in the field that you're choosing to, to play in, for instance, you know, Michael Jordan can still make millions of dollars in, in a commercial for almost any product. And this is not even having coached a game of basketball in, uh, in several years at this point. You know, M- Michael Jordan's never going to want for a meal. He, he's built a brand that he can, he can live off of for the rest of his life. And I think that's, what, that's probably what a lot of other artists are aiming for. Mm-mm-mm. Interesting. I'm really glad, Pete, that you misinterpreted my email because the <laughs> conversation that we had is way more interesting than what if we'd actually talked about Tinker Taylor, the Soldier Spy. Is it not a good movie? I mean, is it not interesting? It's it's an okay movie. And oh, the main reason why it wouldn't have been an interesting conversation is because it is very spoilerable. Spoilerable. Oh, I would not have okay. wanted to spoil it. And, you know, as we've said before, <laughs> it just came out in limited release. So, what, like all of like six theaters in the United States were showing it this weekend? Work, so, yeah. should, so should we wait until it gets in a general release and then talk about it? Is that what we're going to do? Revisit it then? If you guys want to go see it. I mean, like, it is a, uh, I think I'll describe it as ponderous. Um, let's, put it, let's put it this <laughs> well, that, way. That's and certainly this, getting me reared up to go. Jeez, I know. ponderous. Okay, let, let's no, put no, it no, it's way. a pastiche of three different things <laughs> at once, Pete. <laughs> okay, we, we made the joke about, you know, the, in the spy movie, like, looking at manila folders. There are a lot of longing, luxurious, like pornographic shots of uh, file folders being transported throughout the British Secret Intelligence <laughs> Service building. <laughs> many, many minutes of film are devoted to watching fi- file folders go back and forth. So it's folder Probably. porn, basically, is what you're saying. It's, it's folder porn. <laughs> it's, that, oh, it's also the kind of movie which is the opposite of uh, hitting you over the head with exposition and uh, well, telling the story. Just an example, and without spoiling... Um, then the big reveal when you find out who the traitor is in the movie, it just sort of happens. Like someone kind of walks into a room, the music doesn't really build up. There's no huge zoom in. There's no, uh, there's none of that, right? It's just like, you know, there's a, you see the face of the person. There's a sort of a very brief, subtle reaction. Cut, go to the next scene. That's it. Wow. Man, I hope that, th- I wish that's what happened when like Luke found out that Vader was his father. Like, oh, <laughs> Okay. Can we keep fighting, or are we done? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump off this thing now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me go down the slide, and we'll talk later. So maybe like, if, if more people see this, I would be very curious to hear uh, people's reactions to these different, very different styles of filmmaking, right? This subtle, uh, subtle technique here versus what we very much become accustomed to, which is just being hammered over the head with whatever it is the filmmaker is trying to communicate, be it pathos, yeah. comedy, or I'll, def- I'll definitely be seeing it, and I've I've read the novel and love the novel excessively. Mark, have you have you read the novel prior I, to seeing it? I have not. No, I I can barely read. I mean, <laughs> All right. So that might that might be interesting to compare between you know someone who's seen the novel and sort of knows knows not only spoiler alert who the traitor is, but what a lot of the what a lot of the plot turns are going in. So it'll be interesting to compare our various takes on it once we've both seen it, because apparently Boston isn't cool enough of a city to merit this, you know, limited release. Yes, yes when the hinterlands get this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess Boston's not a big intellectual movie town or no. something. I don't know. No, no, no. 
Not if it isn't doesn't have the dropkick Murphys and Mark Wahlberg in it in some <laughs> capacity. So. As, as they I'm say, to Oxford. to Oxford. As they say in the uh, the Spinal Tap movie, Boston, not a big college town. <laughs> so uh, that's it for the Overthinking Podcast this week. Join us next week. Uh, if you want to contribute in the meantime, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can call or text 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Uh, we'll probably do a listener feedback show before the end of the year. Because Christmas is on a Sunday, we're going to pre-tape a show. We are going to give you a show on Christmas, or more specifically on the day after Christmas, which is the uh, the Monday. But, um, you know, uh, you will have your Overthinking It podcast. Uh, you're, and, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> you're, you're welcome in advance. I probably shouldn't have said that. Now, like, some elaborate series of events is going to conspire to make it happen. But then it'll all come together at the end, and we'll hug, just like the end of New Year's Eve, the number one movie in America. <laughs> Until that was week, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Load up on guns, bring your friends. <laughs> Man, I love New Year's Eve. I love that it had all those people in that movie and that they were all on New Year's Eve. It was great the way that the calendar moved when all the people that were in the movie were famous. But Peter, Peter, there's one thing you need to realize. One of those 29 different actors is a traitor. What? <laughs> I, I, need you, great, I need you to ferret out the traitor who's going to jeopardize New Year's Eve. Take this manila folder to Times Square. All right, I will take it, but make sure the camera stays on it the whole time. I don't want to lose it.